Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. My guest today is Dr. Bradley Dreyfus. He's an emergency medicine physician and assistant professor in the Colleges of Medicine and Public Health at the University of Arizona. He's also the co-founder of HCW Hosted. HCW Hosted is a grassroots community-based organization mobilizing to meet healthcare worker needs during COVID-19 and any future pandemic threats which may occur in our near future. We have a lot to unpack. Some people may have seen you or heard you on uh, BBC interviews or read your op-eds in the New York Times. You've been speaking out on COVID-19 since the beginning of the pandemic or when the pandemic became realized in Tucson. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that it's been, what, since March, April? Yeah, it's been a while. Talk about your work with COVID-19 as it started uh, appearing here in Tucson. Well, even before it started really came to Tucson, we were supposed to actually be traveling to Columbia for a conference where my partner and I were going to be presenting. And a day before, we ended up having the travel ban go into effect. And so spent about seven days in the beginning of March where I had unexpected time off and ended up literally just burying myself in the, in the literature and the news that was coming out of China and Italy and seeing it start to really hit New York. I got in touch with some of my colleagues and friends in New York who were on the front lines and really started to realize the devastation it was having on them emotionally and, and physically. We had one of our colleagues actually end up committing suicide in March or April. I, I've never been a person who's done well just sitting by watching um, situations go by without trying to come up with some interventions or trying to speak out or learn as much as I can and, and better understand the narrative. And so my partner and I reached out to some of our closest colleagues, medical anthropologists, Mark and Mimi Nichter um, at U of A, some of my epidemiology colleagues and some of our colleagues um, from psychology. And we essentially started a HCW hosted as a think tank to figure out what's the situation, what's typical in pandemics, looking back to SARS, looking back at H1N1, even Ebola, and what were the effects on the healthcare workforce? What was the effects on our communities? I mean, for example, in SARS up in Toronto, there was backlogged cases for nine months of unaddressed surgeries and chronic health issues. So we knew that it was going to end up affecting people without COVID and really disrupting our healthcare systems. So how do we think about both communicating the need for support um, for a healthcare workforce and actually start building it? And then why Tucson? What about Tucson makes Tucson a great place to innovate and collaborate? And frankly, I think it's, I've been here almost nine years. It's really about the community. Tucson is a very community-centered um, town, very diverse. And because of that, people are used to using their voices. Small business is very strong. Our chambers of commerce are very active. And if we think about how a pandemic or an epidemic, which then becomes a pandemic, affects a community, you realize that you need to really come together as a community. 
And we saw it in April, most specifically with the outpouring of support for healthcare workers, discounted foods, people dropping, dropping stuff off um, at the hospitals, everything, inc including parades, right? This whole moniker of hero, which a lot of us really shrink around, like we are not heroes. We are, we are doing our job and we just want to be enabled to do our job effectively and in a way that allows us to care for our patients with a level of care that we have been trained to. So as physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, behavioral health professionals, and environmental services colleagues, we need to be thinking about how we can care for our team in a way that allows us to care for our patients. One thing we were seeing, especially in the beginning, is lack of masking in the hospitals and policies that led to our colleagues getting sick. I actually had a colleague who was a unit coordinator, so essentially clinical administra administration staff in the emergency department, who ended up getting sick with COVID and dying pretty early in, in COVID. And it's because our health systems were worried about logistics of how many masks they had, who should be wearing them when, instead of erring on the side of safety. And I think the underlying point is our current corporate healthcare model is what the problem is right now, at least on the healthcare side. It's concerned with revenue because its mandate is to make money and to grow. There is no mandate for our healthcare systems to care for the population. The health status of our population is the mandate of our public sector, right? Even if our healthcare is paid for by the public sector, Medicare and Medicaid, it's approximately 50% of healthcare. The payers can't dictate what the corporate models actually provide. And so when we are talking about staffing that has been based on productivity models, when we talk about resources like PPE not being in abundance, because our cost within for a health care system or corporate model system, we end up having unsafe situations. And when you have an infectious illness and your healthcare workers, especially on the front end of a pandemic, are the most at risk. And our regulatory agencies like OSHA haven't had much teeth in ensuring a safe working environment. So when someone gets sick, one of our staff members gets sick, or they have a family member who gets sick and they don't come to work, we still have the same number of patients coming through. But we might be down a staff member, which means that extra load, that extra emotional burden, the physical burden, all of it is on whoever is at work. A good example of this is when we walk into an emergency department, as I did what, a week ago, with 36 people waiting in the waiting room and 16 beds in the emergency department laying empty because we didn't have anybody to staff it. And this is obviously painful for those of us in the front line because we just want to be able to provide the clinical care, right? But when you have very sick COVID patients who are significantly more complicated and take a lot more time at the bedside by nursing, by physicians, respiratory therapists, et cetera, you end up in a, in a, in a situation where that sh short staffing feels even more acute because like I said, you don't stop the inflow of patients to the waiting room or the ambulance is coming to the 
to the hospital, right? The part that's scary for us is what we are seeing when we get overwhelmed, that we are not able to provide the level of care that we would if people were to present when we weren't overwhelmed, right? The most extreme example of this would be when there's actually rationing based on age, pre-existing health conditions for who gets a ventilator. That's the most extreme example, right? But if someone is waiting in our waiting room, having some chest pain and having a, a pulmonary embolism or a clot in their, in their lung that can be life-threatening, and they're getting sicker and sicker, or someone with an infection and developing sepsis, the likelihood of them having a good outcome is lower than it would be at another point in time when we are not overwhelmed. And so that can be pretty uh, morally distressing. Another situation that comes up is with the short staffing, we had traveling nurses. The epicenter was in New York. We had people flying to New York, right? When our numbers go up and our hospitals ask for extra staff, we get this extra staff that are on contract. But that might mean that they're guaranteed 40 to 60 hours a week cuts into our local staff's time and our staff gets furloughed, right? So you have a normal functioning team where people may be furloughed, new people, nurses or respiratory therapists or docs come in, but they don't know the hospital. They don't know the systems. They don't know the people they're working with. So when you're talking about an emergency department or ICU as a well-oiled machine in most times and settings, that breaks down. When you have staff that's emotionally exhausted, compassion fatigue sets in. When you have patients who are not allowed to have family members, you're the de facto support person for that patient who may be on their way to death's doorstep. That's a lot to bear. You're listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guest today is Dr. Bradley Dreyfus. He's an emergency medicine physician and assistant professor in the Colleges of Medicine and Public Health at the University of Arizona. He's also the co-founder of HCW Hosted. As we record this, we're experiencing a surge in cases, a surge in positive cases, uh, perhaps higher than any time that it's been in Arizona. Yeah, it's frightening. And it's, it's bad all over the country right now, which means there's not the ability to leverage resources from other areas. And, and the reality is our emergency departments and ICUs should not be the front lines. We should be the safety nets. Our public health and prevention services should be on the front line. And so the fact that our public health systems have been defunded and not supported over the last several years is a great setup for us not being prepared. The politicization of masking or COVID in general has really led to a cynical population. And so when you start seeing people being attacked or ridiculed for wearing masks or trying to prevent the spread of COVID, it's pretty demoralizing. It causes moral distress or moral injury. As far as the numbers go, in the last week or two, we've seen about a 50% increase in our positive cases. When we put the terms of severity of the pandemic around mortality and deaths, most people don't realize that the delay from diagnosis to death is in the order of four or five weeks. So when we have 200,000 patients being diagnosed, I believe yesterday, right around there, at a mortality rate of 1.5%, that's 3,000 people per day that are expected to die. That's not 
talking about excess death numbers. That's just from COVID. So, and we'll be seeing that in four, five weeks is what we expect. And that's without our health system collapsing, which is the big concern. If all of our beds are full, our health system essentially is in collapse. Patients have been moved around from state to state. I know hospital I work in um, received an ICU patient from Texas, I believe last week or the week before. That's not uncommon. When we had our surge this summer, patients were being moved all over the state through the Arizona surge line, which is a godsend for the rural hospitals. I'm talking with some of my friends working in the rural hospitals. They don't have respiratory therapists in the numbers we do. They don't have the the ventilators. They don't have the staff with the experience to be managing very complex patients. So they need to be able to transfer the patients out. One of my friends in Ohio I was just talking to, actually in the hospital where I first volunteered in the emergency department and got bit by the emergency medicine bug, 17-bed emergency department right now in rural Ohio, nine beds with people sick with COVID and on ventilators. The f- hospital they refer to are full. They're the kind of hospital that has one patient who codes or dies and you resuscitate a week in the emergency department. This person was talking about three before eight o'clock in the morning for her last shift. It's, it's striking our, our rural populations in the Midwest, the South and, and, and West in ways that just people can't imagine. And, and for every death we talk about, all these are numbers, but these are people with families, their mothers, their fathers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, their business owners, their managers. They're the lifeblood of our economy, Right. And so when we talk about this in abstract terms of numbers and rates, it's very cold. And so I don't feel like our, our, our population doesn't really relate to it very well until it's on their doorstep. And then a lot of that's because there's very little trust right now within government or within any of our public structures in our rugged individual society in general. And that is, that's going to be our downfall. That's why this is spreading so severely. And that's why our emergency care system and healthcare system generally is going to be overrun. One setting that should be mentioned specifically and doesn't get enough attention are long-term care facilities and even home health. These have been the hardest hit in the first waves. 40% of healthcare workers who died, 40 or 50% of healthcare workers who died were long-term care facility staff. They didn't have the PPE. They have much more close, intimate contact with patients than even our nurses in the hospital because they're helping with activities of daily living. The staff at these facilities are unfortunately lower wage workers who don't necessarily have sick time, don't usually have health insurances provided by their employer, and don't have the expendable income to be buying their own PPE or respirators. And so there's just another representation of the significant health disparities. We were seeing stories in the last week of long-term care facilities in the upper Midwest where every patient ended up, or almost every patient in, in the unit or in the facility was testing positive, and about half the staff. This is all preventable. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been tough. And what's coming is an exodus from healthcare. I've had three or four nurses who I work with quit in the last several weeks. Some of the surveys of physicians, one survey was showing that 8% of doctors are closing their offices. That's about 16,000 practices. 
and another 4% planning to close within a year. 20% of primary care clinicians said someone in their practice had plans to retire earlier and already left. Right? We had a workforce shortage before COVID, especially in primary care and especially in nursing. So where are we going to be as a society, as a country or community with being able to have a functional, well society or community where we can focus more on wellness than sick care, which is what we have now. With regard to the PPE and the current situation, we have about three times the number of cases as the last surge with exponential growth and no end in sight. And we still haven't activated the Defense Production Act. To me, that's unconscionable. In March, people seem to do a fair job of staying home and maybe even again in May. I mean, there's the idea of bubbles and pods, but there's also people, you know, seem to be feeling like their group of family and friends is is safe. We're only as safe as our weakest link in our pod or bubble. And we as a society of rugged individualism being being one of the primary values means that people aren't always thinking about their communities when they make their day-to-day, minute-to-minute decisions. So the fatigue around quarantine and quarantine fatigue is real, or COVID fatigue, pandemic fatigue. It happens in almost every pandemic. The willingness to be on lockdown has gone down from the high 70s percent of people who are willing to to 50s or less. And a lot of that's because of inconsistent messaging, minimization of the impacts of COVID. And again, unless people have seen it or felt it within their families, it's often lost on them. And that's, that's the problem. There's a failure of imagination for how investing time now in quarantine will pay off economically for the country and our communities, and even socially. Just look at Australia, look at New Zealand. They put down hard lockdowns at times they needed to for short periods of time. But I spoke with some of my colleagues in Australia last week. They're literally living normal lives right now in New South Wales. Their kids are going to school. They're having barbecues with friends. And it's because they were able to actually come together with a mindset of patriotism and putting community ahead of self to lock down and do what was needed to get done to stem the spread. And with 40 to 50% of people being asymptomatically spreading, people are lulled into a false sense of security unless they have very tightly organized pods or, or bubbles, social bubbles. To be clear, vaccines are not a magic bullet. The skepticism around vaccines is a huge threat and with the anti-vax sentiment or lack of trust. You're listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guest today is Dr. Bradley Dreyfus. He's an emergency medicine physician and assistant professor in the Colleges of Medicine and Public Health at the University of Arizona. He's also the co-founder of HCW Hosted. So the best thing we could do is really come together as a community, realizing that we will get back to our businesses functioning, small business, larger businesses, if we make the sacrifice and lock down. To recognize that in order for us to have Thanksgiving next year with all of our family members there, 
we need to lock down for Thanksgiving this year and make some sacrifices. If people keep their typical Thanksgiving practices and everyone getting together, it's almost guaranteed that someone you know will not be here for Christmas and the new year. And that that's preventable. That's tragic. And that has ripple effects. With regard to HCW Hosted, when we started watching this epidemic and pandemic spread to New York, and we got our group of colleagues from across anthropology and public health and psychology and the business community together to think about what we could do, it came down to a few specific areas to start with. One was, how do we work with partners to secure safe quarantine housing? Right? whether it be hotels, whether it be Airbnbs, whether it be dorms, and that was an option at one point that, no, that there was a failure to launch. Another is monitoring of symptoms, physical symptoms, and signs of emotional stress, and then to provide services. And that ranges from emotional support and psychological first aid to if someone needs help with childcare. And so we put together this group and started building out some of these services, built essentially a 1.0 platform, tech platform, to be able to map out where potential housing was, to be able to have healthcare workers reach out through the website that we put together to sign up for housing and for them to articulate what other services would be useful. We've provided services for about 150 or 160 people just through that grassroots effort. And where HCW hosted is moving towards is trying to figure out how we can better support employers to provide supportive services and a more resilient workforce. If we acknowledge and recognize that the cost of turnover is exorbitant within the healthcare workforce for the employers, having traveling nurses or traveling medical staff come help provide support is over 250% more expensive than having your staff, your normal staff. So if we can find ways to help evolve the paradigm, to think about the healthcare worker and their families and be able to support them more effectively and support their resilience, it makes it more likely that the employers will have lowered costs. They will be able to be able to keep their hospitals and facilities open to care for patients more effectively and we'll be less likely to have a failure of our healthcare system. And so we're looking at moving towards building a slate of services for the healthcare employers that links with services to the healthcare workers and their families and be able to show that positive impact for the workforce to the employers. We were selected as a startup to participate in the UA Forge Incubator Accelerator this summer, and we're fortunate enough to secure a place with the program for the incubator for three years to help grow this into a social venture model that will allow for much more comprehensive support of healthcare workers and as well as support the employers in reducing costs and increasing their operations effectively, since we are in a corporate model currently. So HCW Hosted's vision is really that we envision a healthcare system that recognizes the value and impact of maintaining the physical and mental well-being of healthcare workers and their families, enabling them to deliver high-quality healthcare services to our communities. 
Our mission is really currently to build the technology and community-based services that enable healthcare organizations to ensure healthcare worker, family, and community well-being. And it's through our relationships with the Chambers of Commerce and Visit Tucson and other um, nonprofit organizations like the um, Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona that will allow us to evolve our current model and do a more sustainable model that can be replicated in other cities and states and hopefully improve the reality of the healthcare workers and allow for more resilience in that community of healthcare workers to care for the community. We hear a lot about burnout. And what I think most fail to realize is the cost of burnout pre-COVID was approximately $14 billion for nurses and $17 billion for physicians. In terms of retraining and uh, recruiting? Yep, it's lost to the system. So if we look at our nation as a whole, of the $3.5 trillion that we spend in healthcare, $31 billion is attributed to the burnout. So if reimagining how we can better support our healthcare workforce and the companies they work for and our hospital systems and our long-term care facilities, we can reduce the cost of our overall healthcare significantly. Even if we reduce the burnout by that pre-COVID number by 10%, that's $3.1 billion. And so extrapolating this out to what this means for our communities and our states and our nation is important because in the back end of COVID, I think it's almost certain, or it is pretty much certain that we're going to have healthcare reform. So if we are really focusing on what was the triple aim, now the quadruple aim, with the patient experience, population health, cost reduction, with the fourth component being the well-being of the care team, in this new reform, healthcare reform that is surely coming, we need to place more emphasis on the well-being of your care team, because otherwise, patient experience is affected negatively. Our ability to care for our population is affected negatively. It's much more expensive to take care for our community, both in the chronic disease, chronic illness, wellness, as well as the acute care and surgical settings. There needs to be more of a mandate for ensuring the well-being of the healthcare teams and to focus on just that team working across training of nurses, doctors, allied health, to ensure that we're not just supporting one group over another and causing infighting or causing undue stress, but really thinking about how do we provide care as a team. We do it all the time in the emergency department. As a physician, I can't do anything without my nurses. Even our environmental services, or what used to be called janitorial staff, without having them be able to feel like they're effective and work effectively, we can't have patients go from waiting room to emergency department room, to inpatient room upstairs or home. And HCW Hosted has really laid some groundwork on how to do so more effectively. In all of this, while our nose is to the grindstone and we are really trying to do the best we can in our clinical settings, it is really important for our communities to understand that we are doing just that. We are doing the best we can. This is exhausting. We've been running a marathon. We are not even halfway through. If you look at an 
18 month timeline for pandemics and immunizations, et cetera, to be in place. We're literally at halfway point and it's, things are going to get worse before they get better. So please stay home, mask up, reinforce your, your social bubbles and take care of each other. We need not be divisive anymore. We need to come together as a community, as a nation, not just in our healthcare settings, but wherever you find your community members to get past this pandemic and minimize death and disability and suffering. I also just want to thank all of my colleagues from across University of Arizona and within our community, everyone who has donated their time to HCW hosted. We are pretty much 100% volunteer structure right now. And without everyone's time and effort and creativity, the 150 or 160 healthcare workers who've been receiving services would be on their own. And so just a thank you to everyone. And thank you for having me today to speak with you about COVID and HCW Hosted. We'll have to leave it there. My guest today has been Dr. Bradley Dreyfus. He's an emergency medicine physician and assistant professor in the Colleges of Medicine and Public Health at the University of Arizona. He's also co-founder of HCW Hosted. Uh, you can find them on Facebook, and there you can find links to all of their social media. They also have a website, hcwhosted.org, so you'll be able to follow their progress. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My name's Amanda Schager. You can find this and all recent episodes on the 30-minute program page at kxci.org. There you can subscribe to the podcast and follow our social media links.